And uh, we will keep on going in this series looking at the Gospel of John. Um, it's interesting that the, the little reading that, uh, um, that Leslie shared with us this morning included uh, the passage that we're looking at today, the, the uh, changing of the water into wine at the wedding of Canaan. Um, so we're going to be reading uh, the first 12 verses of John chapter 2. Here John writes, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the, ser to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill those jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had, uh, had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This was the first of his signs that Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. As John writes, this is uh, the first sign that Jesus did. And, and as we continue to look at the rest of the Gospel of John, we are going to come across a number of, of uh, miracles that, that John indicates as another sign. Um, and uh, uh, there are others that look at some of the other miracles and, and uh, identify those as specific signs, but um, all of this together points to, uh, or, or is, is concluded in John chapter 20, uh, verse 30, where, where John writes, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. These signs that we're going to come across that, that John wants to point out, that he highlights out of the ministry of Jesus, out of all the different things that Jesus did, these are signs that point to the divine nature of Christ. That He indeed 
was God and that he was revealing himself, his glory to the people, to his disciples, to those who would believe in him so that they may truly believe and be transformed from the inside out and have life. I think this first sign is a significant one because it is this sign of transformation. In some ways, it is, it is less remarkable than some of the other signs that Jesus performed. His ability, ability to be able to heal those who were sick. That had much further reaching impact than uh, turning uh, maybe 115 liters or so, maybe more of water into wine. Um, that, that, that wine had an impact for, uh, for that, uh, that married couple. It had an impact on the guests that were there, that they were able to partake in that. Um, but but compared to somebody's life being freed from uh, 12 years of bleeding, um, uh, somebody who has been trapped in darkness, in blindness from birth, to, to receive sight for the first time in their lives, those were, those were signs that had a lasting impact, uh, that had this... this uh, uh, more dramatic kind of, a, of an appeal to see the, the power that Jesus had over nature where he would, with his word, calm the wind and the waves to, to walk upon the water. Uh, those were some uh, amazing displays of, of God's power. Why did John uh, choose this to be the first one that he reveals to us, to, to show to us? I think because it is, it is a metaphor, a symbol of what Christ's ministry was coming to do in the world. In the lives of the Jewish people, in the lives of those that would believe in Him, that would follow Him, that this was a symbol of what Christ was coming to do. The change that Jesus made to the water was, was not a cosmetic change. He didn't just change the color of it. He didn't just add some food dye or, or, or some, some Kool-Aid to, to, to change the flavor somehow. It wasn't just a, a change on the outside of the jar that, it, that suddenly these plain jars were now uh, uh, painted they had pictures there there was a new color on the outside or some engravings that happened it wasn't a, a cosmetic change that Jesus did to this wine it was a transformation of one element into something completely different and that's what Jesus has come to do in our lives he didn't come just to change the outer trappings of our life. To, to develop some new ritual, new, new religion, 
uh, new activities that we would be able to come to, that, that now we had Sundays where we would come together, uh, that we would have new songs to sing, uh, that, uh, that there would be uh, new rituals that we would follow through with, and that, that this was uh, somehow this new thing that Jesus was doing in our lives. The transformation that he brings to us is much more than that. It's not even just a, a change in the way that we act or, or change in the way that we talk. Jesus didn't come just to help us live better lives, not to get caught up in temptation. Uh, the transformation that Jesus brings into our lives is one that changes the essence of of who we are. It's taking something from, from one element and, and making it completely different. In our sinfulness, we are in our very nature opposed to God. That at our very core, we are an enemy of God. Not just that, that because we do things that God doesn't like that He looks upon us as an enemy, but that we look upon God as our enemy. You look at, at the world today and, and, and you see how humanity holds God at arm's length, that, that sees God as the enemy. You know, the, the books from some of the new atheists, The God Delusion, um, uh, the, the book that, um, uh, that uh, Richard Hitchens, not Richard, um, not Richard Dawkins, but the Christopher Hitchens, there's the two brothers, the one is the atheist and the one is the, the follower of Christ, but uh, the atheist that he talks about how the the problems that are happening within the world all stem from a belief in God, from this delusion, this misunderstanding that there is some God. Tegan and I were, were listening to some music and Barbara Streisand was redoing um, John Lennon's song, Imagine, where it talks about imagine there is no heaven. Imagine there are no religions. Imagine that there is no God how much better our world would be. We would finally be at peace because none of these things exist anymore. In science, there are those scientists that as they are studying further and further into and understanding our universe more and more completely, both on a macro level as well as a micro level, they are finding it harder and harder to say that there is no design, to, to be able to describe how all of this came to be by just some fluke, uh, by random <coughs> actions. <laughs> but that doesn't stop scientists from still trying to claim that. Uh, those that, that are, are uh, trapped in this this rebellion against God 
are bound and determined to look for any other kinds of explanation, uh, put their faith in any other kinds of evidence or interpretation of the evidence that would give them grounds for saying there is no God and therefore we have no purpose, we have no meaning, and there's nobody that I need to be accountable to. I'm only accountable to myself. Humanity at its very core is opposed to God. That is what we have inherited from our fathers and our mothers before us. That's what we have passed down to our children. The only hope that we have is a transformation of who we are in our very essence. And that's what Christ has come to do. He's come to take these stone vessels filled with all of our rebellion, all of our brokenness, and to transform us into children of God who now at our very core are focused on loving God, on knowing Him better, on allowing Him to lead and guide us and, and, and to, to use us in whatever purposes that He would have us. It is uh, significant that these stone jars are identified by John as stone jars that contain water for ritual purification. The ritual purification that was used by the Jewish people to, uh, to cleanse themselves, to symbolically cleanse themselves, to be able to be uh, made new in order to come to approach God. And Jesus was taking all of these traditions and all of these elements that, that were so much a part of the Jewish lifestyle, the Jewish worldview, and he came to make that new. To saying that it's no longer through this ritual purification that we have to go through the process of, uh, of, of sacrifice, of, of uh, uh, the feasts, the celebrations, the, all of the ritual purification that help us know about Christ. Instead, He has come and turned us into a joyful people, a celebrating people. That He came to take all of that so that we can now come and, and rejoice in our relationship with Christ making all of this new. I love the work of Hands at Work. I love the ministry that they have created. Over the years, as, as Marge and George have become more and more involved in what's going on at Hands at Work, uh, there have been times when George Snyman, the man that, that was uh, the founder of the ministry, has uh, come and, and uh, shared in a number of different settings. And I've had the opportunity of hearing uh, and talking with him more about the, the vision, how this ministry all got started, and and how how they are working that all through. Um, as he said in the video, he was a uh, middle class South African worker. He and his wife had owned a little store, um, and uh, and they had they had. Uh, grown up in in a church, um, both of them had had a, a faith in Jesus Christ. Um, 
but there wasn't much that was going on in their lives and 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 there there certainly was a uh, uh, a coldness um, that was there a, a more of a ritual kind of a thing but over the years as George looked around him and looked around his country and saw the suffering that was happening because of the AIDS epidemic epidemic that was happening throughout sub-Saharan Africa. Um, he started getting angrier and angrier at God. How could God allow this to happen? And that frustration, that, that desperation continued to, to boil in his heart. And, and he, he was pleading with God to show him why. Why was he allowing all of this to happen? And he talks about his prayers uh, having no power, no, no life, uh, that, that he would cry out and he would hear nothing in return. And that just stoked his frustration and his anger even more. And it got to the place where he finally, I, I forget exactly the timeline, if he sold his business at that point or just walked away from it at that point. And he talks about this walkabout that he did. He's, he started, he had a backpack and started wandering out into all of the, uh, the areas of South Africa, of his nation. Um, uh, some in, those, in the slums of the cities, uh, but also out into the small communities, into the, the, the grass shack huts of, of the people of, of that nation. And, and seeing more and more of the suffering and this growing frustration and anger that happened as he saw all of the suffering that was going on in his country. And he began to try and see what he could do to alleviate that. And he started uh, going into the homes of these or AIDS orphans, uh, children whose both parents had passed away. Uh, they had nobody that was caring for them. Often it was uh, an eight or nine-year-old that was looking after uh, three or four siblings that were younger than them. And he would go in and do what he could just to be with those kids, to, to try and alleviate their suffering, to provide for them, to find food, provide protection. And, and as he did that, as he was in those huts caring for those kids, that's where God started to speak to him. And he realized and he heard the call that God has was using his people to make a difference in the lives of these young ones. And there was a transformation that happened in that experience. Um, in, in being in those places as he was serving the needs of those kids, he suddenly heard Christ and there was a change that happened in his heart. And he and his wife sold their, sold their business and started up this ministry where they would uh, be resourcing uh, families, grandmas that were in these different communities, uh, providing resources for them to be able to meet the needs of these AIDS orphans that were in their community. And it has grown and developed. Uh, 
It is a, a powerful tool that they have been using for meeting the needs of these young people. But one of the things that I love about this ministry, it's not just about the social justice of meeting the physical needs of these kids. There is a spiritual component as well. And, and there is a deep uh, sense of, of listening to the voice of God speaking into their lives. As workers, as the care people that are there, uh, they are calling out the churches in all of these different areas to rise up and to understand Christ in a new way that Christ is using them, not just to, uh, to speak well, but it's changing the hearts of the people in those churches that they now have a brokenness. They feel the responsibility of caring for these young people and it is having this amazing impact. That's the kind of transformation that Jesus brings into our lives. It's not just an outer change. It's not just a, a different way of talking, a different way of being, but rather Jesus wants to come and make us a new creation. A creation that is focused on knowing God. On loving Him of serving Him in all aspects of our lives and, a, and as we are being shaped into His character, that translates into a care and a concern and a compassion, acts of compassion uh, for those that are in need around us. So the question comes, have you experienced that kind of change? I've known lots of people that have come to Christ and have been satisfied with just a cosmetic transformation. That the water of their lives was just had a little bit of Kool-Aid added to it. So there was a little bit of a different taste, a little bit of different color to it. That they were very happy just to, uh, to come and be a part of a church on a Sunday. That they were, they were very pleased to, to, to um, take on a new way of talking, a new way of, uh, of dealing with other people around them. That, 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 that they were able to, to see the Bible as, as a, a moral standard, a code that they could follow and change the, the way that they, would, uh, that they would live their lives, the, the decisions that they make, the choices that they make, uh, that it was all just a cosmetic thing. I've also known Christians who have experienced that essential transformation in their lives where they encountered the real risen Christ and they surrendered to Him and, and, and have experienced a, a change in their heart that has impacted the way that they live their lives, the, the, the passion to know God more and more, the thirst for, for being in His Word, the, the intimacy in relationship and prayer that they would have, the response to, to God's call to meeting the needs of those that are in need, 
those that are marginalized in our society, those that are vulnerable and hurting in our society. But then as the years have progressed, it's almost like they started to water down that wine and adding some more and more water to it. And slowly but surely it is going back, their life is going back to being filled with water rather than being transformed into the wine that Christ wants in their lives. What is God doing in your life? How have you received His transformation in your heart? Have you gone beyond just that desire for a cosmetic transformation? Are you seeking to have that new life, that essential newness that Christ brings into your heart to change the very nature, the character of who you are. What about us as a church? Do you think we as a church reflect that kind of uh, a people that have been transformed in that way? That, that, that we are a people that are celebrating in the love of Christ that, that we have allowed His transforming work to change who we are, to change our passions, to change our priorities, so that we're no longer uh, just looking after our own needs, but we are looking to see how we can impact the lives of those that, uh, that are marginalized in our society, that are vulnerable in our society. Uh, let's pray. Just close your eyes and and I want to give you an opportunity just to allow the Spirit to reveal His passions, His plans for you. To reveal what are those areas in your life where you've been satisfied with just a cosmetic change rather than seeing a a brand new transformation, a, a new creation being made. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you move in our hearts? Would you convict us of those areas that need transformation? And would you give us the strength to turn all of that over to you to seek your transforming power in our lives?
thank you that this is your work on our behalf, Lord. That we don't have to create that transformation on our own. Instead, all you ask is that we surrender and submit to you. So we lay our lives in your hands. We put our church in your hands. And we wait for you to make us new.